Today's guest is Christina Berkeley. Christina is a coach and was a mentor of mine. And uh, she and I actually have a similar educational background in the cult that I was in, that she was in, known as One Taste. And we learned a lot of cool things. And Christina was actually uh, much further along. She was actually uh, one of the head instructors for them at one time. And she had already actually left um, when I had joined. And as I was kind of a rising star in that organization, she was someone who was kind of giving me like inside details, which I actually realized now kind of gave me um, a little more sanity because I had someone who actually knew what was going on, on inside uh, someone's advice. But Christina went on to go from that to become a very multi six figure successful coach. And in many ways, she in different phases of my life, she's been um, an inspiration and a, I guess like almost like a passive mentor because post cult I didn't really like work with her directly, but she did uh, direct me in certain ways that helped me figure out things in life. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. And uh, in this episode, we speak about kind of a wide range of topics from the sexual, the dark stuff that we both learned at one point, speak about generative trance, uh, hypnosis, apologies for the sounds of puppies in the background, if you hear that, and money. And one thing that was interesting is that uh, Christina's financial life changed a lot in the, in the years that I, I've known her. And I was really curious to see how her changes psychologically affected her changes in wealth. And she speaks, she says, money is like potatoes. And you will learn what that means inside of this episode. So the real fun one. Uh, quick announcements, as I mentioned in the last episode, in case you didn't catch it, I did not publish an episode for a while. So this is, uh, this episode is maybe a month old, uh, you know, it happens because I had made that major shift, uh, with the technical side of my online stuff, which means for you, if you want to get access to my five years of video archives, all for free. All you got to do is go to rwando.com, put in your email, join my email list, and you will have a free login to my members area back end. I have interviews going back to 2012 or maybe 2013. Um, you can listen to me be very awkward on camera with other people. But also there's some great content there and some stuff I haven't published. And a lot of the, the podcast episodes that are available on the podcast right now the video version is actually available only on my back end. So check that ruando.com uh, and just, you know, put in your email. Uh, Christina's stuff is at christinaberkeley.com and she has a new project called Edgewalkers and the links are in the show notes for this episode. The 21 Day Maximum Archetype Challenge is also available. But anyway, that's enough announcements, I think. Right now you're listening to episode 075, Christina Berkeley, Orgasm, Money, and Potatoes. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, part of the Gotham Podcast Studio Network in New York, New York. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Christina. Hi, Ron. How are you? <laughs> great, great. Um, so actually, the first thing I want to say to you is something I meant to say to you in person last time we met, which was like a few weeks ago, and I just forgot. I don't know. I was in another place. But um, I actually wanted to tell you that so we met a long time ago. We'll probably get into that today. Um, but you were actually a person I realized this year had a huge impact on my life trajectory. And I wanted to start by saying thank you because I didn't actually, I've never actually said that to you. And I didn't, didn't really? come to me until this year. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. How so? That's so cool. Uh, I think, you know, well, we could cover a lot of things, but like when I was working with you more directly on trans stuff and other things, and uh, that was a big part of like shifting the way I thought about work and life and my spirituality you actually introduced me to ayahuasca as also um and then since then like just watching your change like in business has all just been inspiring from afar because you're someone who actually has 10x her life income wise but also like in 
non-material ways the same stuff. I want to say thank you first. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so for those who don't know anything about you, I mean, would you speak a little bit about what you do now? What do I do now? Um, mm-hmm. I'm a coach. I live in LA. I work with all sorts of people. I work with coaches. I work with high achievers. I work with entrepreneurs. I work with people at NASA. I work with philanthropists and all sorts of people um, who are making an impact in the world in, in their way, whatever their special way mm-hmm. is. Um, sometimes for coaches, I work something like a consultant to help them figure out how to build their businesses. As I've gone first, I could help them in that way with people that I work that are not coaches. It's much mm-hmm. more straight coaching. Um, and I'll, I think really at the end of the day, the, you know, the results that people look for, their ROI, it's like I make more money or I have better relationships or whatever, um, that all that happens. But the real thing that, that's happening underneath all of that is um, having sort of a way to learn people's systems, learn how they work, mm-hmm. and then teach it back to them and help them reorganize their relationship with themselves on the inside so that they can, you know, do all the stuff that you just said I did, right? 10x yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. So I assume you don't yeah. use the word spiritual in your marketing or anything like that, right? But do you, you, it does sound spiritual and there is like some like root. Would, would you say so? That's very spiritual. Yeah. yeah. Because with, okay, my, with my friends, you know, and people mm-hmm. are like, what? you know, when you when you really get down to it, right? When you really get honest and down to it and think about what is it that you're doing and what is it that you're putting your energy towards with your life? How do you want to use your life? Um, when I ask myself that question, it always ends up at the real honest truth is um, get people to God, whatever that is. You know, get people to mm-hmm. something bigger than their own egos. Um, figure out what drives them that's that that isn't just their own fear of loss or scarcity or death or the void or whatever what's beyond that um i call that god and so there's so many ways to get to there and each person does it differently so some people are very connected to that language of spirituality so i could talk about it that way um and sort of a lot of people find that to be too woo too california you know mm-hmm have found you know how to thread the needle to, to speak it to them in their language yeah um so let's talk about your life because when i met you and we were spending more time together you were very you're very different as a person and your situation was very different you were definitely deeper on the spiritual side outwardly um can you take us like from then till now and maybe go into i mean your life before i met you like how did you become how did you get here it's interesting. I'd love to hear how you experienced me then and how mm-hmm. now. You know, there's like a 10-year channel challenge going on on, on Facebook. It's like yeah, amazing. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, who were you 10 years ago? And I kind of thought, oh, my God, who I was 10 years ago. I don't even remember really, but whoa. Um, so I'm curious to hear how you see the difference. Uh, before we met, I was a straight-up atheist. Uh, I have a science training background degree, et cetera, microbiology and immunology. I thought anything to do with spirituality or any of that stuff was nonsense. Um, if I couldn't see it, if I couldn't touch it, if I couldn't understand it, you know, with like actual, it just wasn't real. It didn't exist. Could, if you couldn't do a double blind study and then, you know, then, the, and then I ended up in this community that you, where I met you, uh, where 
it was just so off the reservation in terms of taking everything you think is true, throwing it out the window and just trying everything out that you currently before had put, you know, restrictions on to see what's actually true for you. And one of the things they had there was an orgasmic practice. It was like a really deep, you know, feminine empowerment kind of community. And one of the things was orgasm and sexuality. And through this orgasmic practice, I learned by having the experience that, oh my God, my nervous system can do so much more than I thought it could do. And found myself within experiences where it's like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's bigger than me. Uh-huh. Are you talking about like seemingly paranormal things? Or could you give us an example? Like, like the simplest thing. I remember one of the first things I said to one of my friends after I started trying this practice out and doing it for a long enough time that something was really deeply changing within my body was like, oh my God. And this is all orgasm, right? But like levels of it. It's like, oh my God, energy. That's a real thing. <laughs> uh-huh. I feel energy, you know, moving through my, my entire body, you know, whether that just means like tingling or heat or whatever, it, there's no language for it, you know, and it's like, whoa. Um, and it just started there that the fascination of, wait a minute, what else is there that we can't explain, but is actually real. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause so you were in that world for many years before me. And I mean, when, when I met you, you were like a, you were a teacher to me. You're, you're and like, um, so I mean, we're talking about one taste. I think most of my listeners have heard the term just so everyone's yeah. clear. Um, so I, uh, I remember with you also, uh, I'd heard so many one taste teachers explain this and that and a lot of woo woo language and a lot of my rational mind is trying to translate things to make things make sense, whatever. You were one of the first people who, I guess maybe because we got close that whatever this like orgasm thing was or energy in the body or a feel, I remember feeling it in my body when I was around you. And it was interesting tying to your question, my perception of you, you introduced me to certain hippie things. Like you're the first person to ever sage me with a feather or whatever. I was like, I remember being like, what the hell is this? Like, and I remember it was funny because you, you even said something like, Oh, you, like, Oh, those happy hippie people are so silly or whatever. And I was like thinking, Oh, that's what I think of you right now. <laughs> like, but at the same time, there was something I felt like that I could really feel in my body in your presence that I was like, I don't understand what that is other than the explanation that I've been given, which is there's this life force that people can cultivate and it can be felt by other people, yeah. even over a distance. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could go into parts of whatever parts of that you, you, you're curious. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, I'm curious about all of it. Like what, are, what yeah. <laughs> what are your takes on that? Um, in terms of what that is, I think, um, you can you can nurture or harness or work with or whatever your own inner um, I guess limbic system. Yeah, mm-hmm. do your listeners know what that means? This is the part uh, it's not the reptilian part of your brain or yes. executive functioning, but it's the part that's in the middle that regulates mm-hmm. all of the automatic things that you're not doing on purpose, like your heart rate and your hormone levels and yeah. all that kind and of also stuff. responsible for empathy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so um we're regulating each other all the time. So, you know, you sit beside somebody who feels agitated, you start feeling agitated on the inside, you start tapping your foot. That just Mm -hmm. happens all the time. So when you're around other people who sort of cultivated a kind of energetic inner landscape through whatever practices they do, 
you know, or just someone who's like super turned on. They just came from partying at the rave and you're at the after party or whatever, and they're just lit up. You just mm-hmm. feel that. Um, so I think that's what you're picking up on. Yeah. Or you were picking up on it because especially in that period of time, I was very devoted to cultivating that inner magnetic state, right? Um, in terms of the sage and stuff, yeah, it might be a thing that's really a sage thing. Right. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Uh, but what matters to me in, in the way I experience it is how I feel. I, I've created it as an anchor. You know, I experienced that in a certain community or in a certain setting where something really profound or important happened so that when I then go do that, I just sort of go back to that state. I go back to that place on the inside and therefore the things around me also are affected, feel that kind of like setting an intentional, okay, you know, I like this candle. It means this, and it doesn't really matter if it means that or not, but for some reason it's just easier to get quiet. inside. Yeah. Have you by any chance read the satanic Bible? Are familiar with through it? I don't know that I've okay. read it. Because actually, someone who is I'm someone who I'm sure you know who was like way back in the day in one taste. I met him more recently, and he was like he's painting like this family tree of American mysticism and cults and stuff. He's like they all kind of go to the same place, like Landmark and Est and Morehouse and and this and the Manson family and everything. Like kind of goes back to Aleister Crowley and like the transition from Aleister Crowley into America was introduced by the Church of Satan. Like, because uh-huh. so, Satanism is basically feel your feelings over your thoughts. Like, if I could put it very simply, it's not like to be evil. It's like being angry is more important than trying to be peaceful, like, for instance. But anyway, anyway, I just brought this up because he has a whole chapter on what magic really is. And to him, magic is essentially what you just described, like hypnotic anchor anchorings. And if like incense and candles and a gong makes you drop into a... Uh, a subliminal state like that that's and then you could actually do more things or change your workings like that's what magic is so it doesn't really matter what the thing is it's kind of arbitrary yeah and then the unconscious mind so that's another experience you and i've had together right is the mm-hmm. work of the trance and the generative field of that and that's kind of hypnosis but different somewhere you know different states right and mm-hmm. you could do all sorts of testing on people who meditate an alpha beta delta whatever brain waves um mm-hmm. So in trance states and the unconscious mind, that's real. I don't know how magic that is. It seems like magic. It feels like magic. Um, I think it all is accessing your ability to connect to those parts of yourself that are normally cut off to you um, to then build and create and generate in the world from from there and also connect with others. Um, that the uh, the unconscious mind is the real magical thing that all these things point at and can get you to. And when you're with somebody in your, as a coach for me, right. But also in like romantic relationships and whatever, right. You're with someone and you're able to open up a space like that, where the things that they're saying are more true than anything else they could possibly be saying. And they don't know where they're coming from and they feel so seen and you feel so connected. It's like your soul and their soul. And it's almost a visceral feeling. Yeah. Everything else gets quiet and the air begins to feel like molasses. Um, that's where you generate the best everything. Yeah. Work, relationships, life, feelings, joy, love, whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, you could go the other way too if you want, but I don't. 
Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess people do that at propaganda at times. But I, I remember when I was learning trance from you, I remember I really just like the enjoyment of like a spontaneous LSD like experience. And I remember you weren't scolding me, but you were kind of reminding me like the purpose of these states is like, I don't know if this was your language, but it's like you're going into this realm of infinite possibility to change things that like when you're in a normal beta state, like saying be confident means nothing to you. Like that's the purpose of it all. Like that's the, you know, mm-hmm. and I would, yeah, I mean, it took me Nothing a minute to get that. Out. <laughs> right. Which is fun though. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Um, but we use those states to dissociate, right? It's in the same way that we eat food or drink alcohol or watch TV or whatever. It's like, I don't want to feel what's here. So I'm going to do some other thing that makes me feel sort of high somehow, which is like a little dopamine surge or whatever, or like trippy acid, or and it's entertaining enough that I'm distracted from the void. Whatever it is, it's uncomfortable over here. Um, so using the unconscious mind in that way, you can just go have fun with it. But also you can really use it in a powerful, magical way to make a better life. Yeah. So. Going back, could you take us from, all right, you were in One Taste, you're in this own community, and you're living in the, the warehouse, which is kind of like an experimental, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, would you call it sexual, spiritual so thing? research lab. <laughs> research lab, yeah. Um, and then uh, can you take us from there to when I met you? Because you were kind of out of it, but you were, kind of, you were still within like the community. When I met you. So I... I don't remember exactly when I met you. I remember, you know, there were different centers. There was San Francisco was the main one. And then I was in New York. And for a while, I ran mm-hmm. the New York Center. Uh, and after a while, I left. Right. And then I met you a little bit after that when you yeah, just yeah. came back to New York. And you had like a kind of a competing orgasm kind of thing, faction. Right. Yeah. Orgasm world, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I didn't really, I wasn't, I couldn't stop doing the thing that I knew helped me so much become the woman that I am today in terms of the practice and the work mm-hmm. and, and being a mentor to people in, a, in, in all of the positive ways. And I wanted to do it without the crazy sales thing. So it was, there was no selling courses or running programs or getting money from anyone. It was just like teaching the good stuff. While I decided to learn, you know, I'm also, you know, wait a minute, I, I work well with people. I'm a coach. So I'm going to build this coaching practice on the side and divorced the two from each other how to make money versus this beautiful bubble of, of intense practices um, that are good for people that has, is different than my coaching life, different skill sets. And I think that kept it uh, feeling, it was a good alternative for a while for, you know, while I was running it. Um, I didn't have the crazy community that one taste had, mm-hmm. uh, but I had something that felt kind of lighter and safer because I didn't want yeah. anything. Yeah. That's, that's how I got introduced to your separate home circle events. Is like, oh, it's kind of like one taste, but like not so fascist is what someone said to me. Oh. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then in this time is when you started studying trance, right? Yeah, after With Stephen Gilligan. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah. Which was wonderful because... Um, I needed to have another experience of someone who was masterful at something, a modality that made significant change in people's lives. Um, so, I, you know, I, I now have multiple modalities I can work with. So that was useful. And it, it was more directly useful to direct coaching with people when it, it mm-hmm. wasn't a sexuality context. But also, yeah. 
a teacher and mentor and just a master at something who is holding it without the control of what a cult would be doing. So I learned how to be a teacher without taking my students' power away from them. Was it also useful? I mean, I don't know what your exit from One Taste was. I mean, I don't know if you could even call it a cult, but like it's difficult for most people to leave. Like was finding someone else who gave you a similar experience without the negative, like part of your healing, if you will, or allowing you to feel okay with not being in it? I don't remember if I directly went to study with him before or after I left. I know I had experience of that kind of work for my partner, Mm -hmm. my romantic partner, um, who introduced me to it. I think it may be that I'm a simple human where I experienced something awe-inspiring and powerful that got me really high that was different. And I, it just opened my eyes to the fact that there's more in the world than just this one thing that could mm-hmm. give me extraordinary, awe-inspiring experiences. And it's like, cool. I've been here studying this for seven years. I'm missing out on all sorts of other things. Um, I need to go <laughs> check all that out because cool. there's more. Yeah, I just remember for me, like leaving, I, one of my fears was like, I'm not going to find something so profound right. again. And I actually got it from like one of maybe the least like most mundane things, like I started taking acting classes and I had this really great acting teacher who had the insight that so the high level one taste teachers would have. Like when you develop empathy, you can read people as you know, really well. And I was like, oh, here's an acting guy who's never heard of orgasm who could like read someone off of like one word they say so accurately. So, okay, there's other things in the world that could teach me this skill. So that was, yeah. Yeah, that's a real fear. I think when you're in closed communities like that, one of the lessons that you learn is, or, or you're given is like, we have the secret sauce. Everyone else means well. They're kind of on the path, but slowly. We have yeah. the real thing, you know? <laughs> right. And I bought into that for a really long time. So leaving, I, it was difficult. I think it was six months before I really began to not judge the rest of the world super harshly. Yeah. And actually be like, wait, <laughs> maybe something here for me. Oh, wait, I don't know everything. Oh, wait, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, because actually now I'm remembering uh, you, you were, because you were already out and like part of this com- competing thing while I was actually going deeper and deeper into one taste. You're kind of like giving me, the, like, I remember you said something like that. And it took me like, a, it was like a year and a half later before I had that experience. So like, it didn't really make sense to me when you said it to me. Um, but then that was exactly my experience. Like when I left one taste, I was like, man, everybody is so boring. <laughs> and it took me a while to be able to connect with people again. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. We're we amazing. People yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you, I thought it was really fascinating. Actually, I've been, uh, well, I thought it was really fascinating is you kind of combine this trance thing where you go into altered states with the orgasm practice. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? Because I don't know if you if you have explored anything since then with that, but I found that profound. Um, I was wondering, yeah, I was wondering, you know, can you speak a little bit about that so everyone knows what we're talking about? And then have you explored anything since then in that realm? I haven't. Um, so I created a little research group at the time so of people who knew this orgasmic practice, so the partner practice, and it's it's kind of like the not that x-rated than <laughs> around women's orgasms um so going to these orgasmic states um and then at the same time connecting with your partner in a way that you can open into an extra like it's like um being you know limbic resonance on steroids you know mm-hmm. really supercharging that 
zone of connection between the two of you while this energy of orgasm is kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're locked in and you're so absorbed um, in your connection with each other and you're in these sort of altered states with the consciousness. What I found in my initial studies with that, with the group that I was sort of teaching all this to when we were legit doing like testing different ways to do all these things to see the results to see what would happen um was that they weren't really compatible that the Mm -hmm. sort of deeper trance states were very calming to the system Mm -hmm. so that sort of like heightened turned on energy was sort of dampened Mm -hmm. and you had to be extra super intentional on wanting to go that way to direct it that way otherwise you just end up like relaxing into a puddle of just but then you're just without sort of that orgasmic thing. You know, I don't know. That's what God, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe I, I I left before you reached those conclusions because what I remember when I like the last experiences I had was like something about like trance was very peer based. Like you're kind of inducing each other together, and then when it, when it got to the point where the woman would lie down, suddenly there was like a shift of power, if you will, and like. I remember you saying like it's like kind of extreme vulnerability that wasn't expected when you're in trance and now lying down with your your bottom half naked, you know, like um but you yeah, I guess yeah, anyway, I thought it was interesting. I think there's something there with the altered states and the sexuality, because that's kind of like the root of erotic hypnosis, which was your entryway into this, right? That came later. Oh, okay. That's sort of like an extra playful thing versus like mm-hmm. I was introduced to the sort of the more pure thing that had nothing to do with sexuality in itself and then mm-hmm. erotic hypnosis is a whole other thing but then there's a whole world of you know montak chia teaches you know this whole energetic tantric practices these things yeah. have existed it's funny these things have existed for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and we keep sort of rediscovering them and thinking that we're getting on to like the track of some new thing that's awesome right. really, like no <laughs> Yeah. That's what I think is cool. And like, kind of is like proof that it's eternal that in totally different cultures, it like pops up in different times. Like there's some, some, this is not like some thing, some self-help author from 2000 years ago, just made up as like something that's real, like the sex creativity connection. Um, So I just want to jump ahead to like, I, I didn't see, I mean, I went deep into one taste. I didn't, wasn't in touch with you for a while. And then the next time I saw you, you had kind of like rebranded everything about everything. Like you had gone the route of prosperous coaching and like, well, I don't want to ask, I want to ask you about like your success trajectory, but also um, I, I remember when I saw you, it was like maybe a year later, you kind of decided to cut off everything sexual in your life to, to straighten things out. Can you speak a little bit about that? It's like what I remember was like you're saying that sex kind of made your mind chaotic or something like that. I might be misremembering what you said. You said something like everything you learned in the one taste world you didn't trust anymore. Oh yes, that yeah. So okay. um, yeah, that that's yes for sure. So I, I left that world and I went into sort of the world of the regular people and realized that the community that we had been in was very focused on sort of female empowerment in a certain kind of way so you had a lot of women who were just not shamed not in any way around their sexuality and had total freedom to explore all the things and so we're super empowered about that and then the men that were there that was super cool and they weren't scared of that and so then you had to interact and all that with kind of women like that and I found when I left there I was dating and I was like okay so I thought I was this expert now and people would relate to me like that right mm-hmm. I'm this 
in relationships and intimacy and sexuality, I know all the things, right? Like I'm the teacher, I've had communities and all this. Uh, and I tried, to, I tried to apply that same skill set to my life <laughs> with people who didn't know anything about any of these things and just found it was totally intimidating to hmm. general men, you know, <laughs> living their lives. You know, like when I came on that strong and was totally like, yeah, la la, it was kind of like people say they want that, but then really don't really know what to do with that in a certain sense. It's kind of like just so out of left field from what we're used to. It was like, oh, wait, I have to let myself be chased and I'll do this whole other thing that I'm not used to doing anymore. Hmm. Um, so I, I realized there's, there's just different rules to the game in different territories. Hmm. And I didn't know the regular world territory in a certain kind of way. And so after a while, it was like, who am I to be teaching this stuff? I really don't know the truth, you know, like, huh. um, I know a way in a context taken out of that context. I'm still learning. Huh. It's really interesting saying, hearing you say that because, um, like what I was saying before, like I could feel your field or something. It was like my first like experience of that. And like my interpretation of that till now has been like, well, I'll just say like, I was very new to all of this. And when I was relating with you, I felt empowered in a way that I hadn't felt before it was like the way I've understood is like, you were so, so secure in your feminine energy that just being around you, if we were connecting in any way, like I just felt like the man, I guess I always felt like the man. I felt like the most manly man, confident, secure guy ever. Um, and I just understood that was because you were like so masterful in like feminine energy that anyone relating to you was like flipped to like exalted to like the opposite polarity. Um, so it's interesting hearing you say that because I was like, I have always thought like this, you were the example of someone who could be super empowered in a non-intimidating way. I'm just like surprised that you have the opposite experience, it seems like. If you pull the lens back, you'll see mm -hmm. that you're already like, because of how, the container that we, the world that you knew me through, you've already self-selected yourself as someone who's interested in something. Okay. Right? Like you're already open you've already been in a world, you've already been to lectures, you're already totally down with this idea of women being empowered sexually to some degree. Mm -hmm. So then the experience, you're open to learning the experience of that and then noticing yourself through it, etc. But you already self, like you're already one in a thousand or whatever who would be even near that kind of community in the first place. Gotcha. Okay. So my sample is skewed. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah. Cause like I, I've like, I've taken that lesson, like try, I tried to apply it to like other connections I've had, like even with someone like a random person I met who knows nothing and be like, Oh, well, what if I did the opposite of what Christina did? And I could like pull, I was like thinking magically, can I like polarize her? And like, I've maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy or all confirmation bias, but every time I'm like, Oh, it works. Like I've taken my experience with you as like this, great lesson so i'm kind of like crashing back to reality right now but that's really great because no it's not because you're holding a masculine polarity that should be doing that in a way yeah i guess that's what i'm yeah. looking for in my relationships mm. is the person holding that in that way pulling me out even further mm. which i yeah, can't okay. do right when i'm relating for as the powerful sexual being in the real world with regular people who aren't in that steeped in that culture I'm the one that's pulling them out, but I don't want that. I want to be further growing into a thing. So, you know, because I'm a super feminine kind of person who likes that. <laughs> 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 it makes sense that it works for you.
Gotcha. Okay, cool. I have to ponder, I have to reponder this though. I thought I had like an absolute law of human relating um, that maybe was just true in like this small context. Um, cool. So what was it like going from that then to, I mean, you end up going like into the prosperous coach. I don't know if that's the right term. I mean, the community around that philosophy around coaching. So yeah, so so I started coaching, like developing, not knowing what I was doing, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a profession in the regular world as a coach because I love that and I'm great with people and I really love helping people. And, um, and I have a lot of understanding of humanity at this point. Um, so as I was initially starting that off, I was sort of a relationship sexuality intimacy coach, right? Uh, for three years or so that's that was my specialty and those were the events that I ran and those were the panels I spoke on and that's what my whole career was about and it was growing and growing and growing slowly but it till the point where it's like okay yes this is my profession and it hit a point two things happened one was I had gone as far as I could take myself and I was still making only like 30k a year or something and I had lots of clients but I didn't know how to charge money I had no idea how to be a business person. Um, or how to really develop that. I was completely overwhelmed with work. It was working now, but I was just exhausted. So I knew something had to change. I needed to go learn something properly about running a business. And the other was that people would come to me for the relationship stuff, but then we'd just be coaching for six months to a year on life, everything life, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized how much broader what I was doing was. It wasn't just sexuality and relationship. And it also got to the point where I, was just, I just got bored. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it wasn't interesting to me anymore it was like the same rehashing the same kind of stuff right. again and again and again it was like I needed something new um so then I someone gave me the book the prosperous coach and it was like wait half the stuff in here I already know from learning it on my yeah. own figuring this out on my and own and you knew him already right rich yeah so one yeah. of the authors of the book Rich Levin, I I knew him before he was a coach you mm -hmm. know and it, I found him on Facebook and it was like hey rich did yeah. you write this book? I'm like, you did this? Okay, cool. I want to do that too. If you can do that, I can do that. Um, tell me, you know? And so we had some conversations and it felt good. Like it felt very heart-centered. It didn't feel like the scary salesy stuff that I didn't want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. like I, I had such a, from the experience at one taste around sales being horrible and harmful to people, mm -hmm. I didn't want to do anything like that. Um, and so I, I, hired him and began my own study on how to build a business truly um, like a high-end boutique coaching business um, through service right and how to do sales in a way that is super in integrity and wonderful mm. um, and my life just changed <laughs> it went from like being this big to just growing you know who knows where it's going now yeah and and from what I understand from last time we spoke, uh, you're kind of in another transition where you're going in a different direction or change or like what's what's going on now? Uh, so many directions. Which one are you referring to? Uh, you want to speak about the manifesto that you shared with oh, me? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah, so so I've since you know like now I'm one of those people that have you know multi six figure businesses and mm -hmm. I live two blocks from the ocean and I travel all over the place and it's amazing. Um, well, my parents now think coaching is a real career, which um, is the real marker um, for success. 
And as all of that kind of happened, I then plateaued at this new place as a coach. We're making, you know, 250, 300K a year. Um, and I could just sort of coast there. And I can help coaches learn how to do that. And I could help leaders do what they do and get to Mars and whatever it is they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, which is exciting. But there's a part of it that has now started to feel like, okay, then now what? There's always the next, what's the next scary, challenging thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I woke up at three in the morning, like a year ago, and asked myself, you know, that thing that you felt that was like, ooh, there's this magnetic thing about Christina. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have said things like that over the mm-hmm. years and uh, communities have sort of co- come around me kind of because of that feeling. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, what is that? If I'm, I'm going to leave a body of work behind, that's kind of it. Like, how do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started writing and it turned into this manifesto that I called the Edgewalker Manifesto that, you know, now I'm running events around it and, and really beginning to you know, beginning stages again, you know, guinea mm-hmm. pig it, right? How is this going to come into the world? Is it going to be a book? Is it going to be an online course? Is it going to be like crazy VIP coaching things with people jumping out of planes? Is it going to be, what is this going to be? Um, but everyone I share it with, pretty much everyone I share it with has a very strong response to it. Mm-hmm. They, they hear it and they recognize something in there. Um, at least my people do. Which is really amazing. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of just something, it's kind of like one of these threads you're just pulling. You don't really know what it is still. Yeah, I don't need to. So I have my business that's doing its thing and it's fine. You know, like I don't need it to make me money. So I have the leisure to follow the thread on, on this, right? Without it cool. having to be financially motivated uh-huh. to see, you know, play with it and see, you know, where does it, get picked up by people who gets turned on by this. What can I do with it? What's its potential? What does it want in a way? Hmm. Yeah. And it brings so, it all back to a lot of the things I learned at one taste. Yeah. Yeah. I, how so? It's just a, a synthesis. And I learned so much there about living on the edge. It was just so out of reality, like any sense of safety, security, certainty was gone on purpose. You know, for years, how do you live a life like that? Um, and you can, it's difficult. And then it's, you know, the par- the the pendulum also, you have to create safety in your world too. How do you do that? Um, but I find people who are looking to be entrepreneurs, be a startup, take a new risk, do a new act in life, whatever it is that they're doing, have to have a quality to them that they're able to not just handle uncertainty and the scary, exciting cliffs, but thrive in those sorts of circumstances, then they can really, you know, connect or change yeah. the world or whatever they're doing. Yeah. It's interesting you use the word synthesis because I wrote that in my notes. Cause like, even like when you were just speaking about your life as a whole, it's like you had this thesis of like being in the rational only. And then one taste was like magical thinking antithesis. And now you're kind of weaving them together. Totally. Yeah. I was like mind, 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 and then body, body, body. And then, Oh wait, both. And then this whole other thing that opens up when you have both yeah it's interesting because like i remember like uh the founder of one taste nicole would speak at least when i was leaving they were going really into like actual like words tied to magic like initiation and mm-hmm. she was like kind of going that direction and she would often say things like oh and, and they were really big into the world initiation like being brought into this different world or whatever and um she would say often that 
an initiate is someone who doesn't need anything but has access to everything, which is a very catchy line, but it's also justification to give up all your money and have nothing, which I which is a beautiful spiritual idea, but also puts you very vul- in a vulnerable situation, which can be taken advantage of. So you're kind of taking the root of that, it sounds like, and trying to put a package on of it on it that's not damaging to people. Yeah, perhaps. I wasn't around for that. I left way before that, so I didn't mm-hmm. see her move into the magical realm in that way. Uh-huh. And I think I think all of the stuff, right? Any kind of powerful, potent work or ability um, can be used in many different ways. So I think you gotta ideally everyone is super connected to themselves has very strong boundaries and is able to say no when they mean no and yes when they mean yes right um in reality a lot of people do not have that skill set you know they're very pliable um, yeah i'm curious on your thoughts on like the sales and, and the morality like <clears throat> sorry can you hear me says our internet sensitive. okay yeah. there's like one school of thought that one taste popularized was like you go for a hundred percent of what you want. Like if you're a salesperson, you push as hard as you want because you trust the other person's a sovereign being who will tell you when the other consent, where their consent line is. Um, and then there's other school of thought that you have to kind of coddle people. It's kind of where a lot of I don't know, I, yeah, a lot of a lot of modern culture is kind of the air of like on the side of um, over respecting boundaries and stuff. I'm wondering what you think about like ethics when it comes to things and following your desire and maybe go ahead I think it's like um relating to whatever it is you're selling uh in a way that a restaurant relates to their fare you know to their food to their chef to their the the experience they're providing right so I'm not going to be walking into a three-star Michelin restaurant expecting that I'm going to be paying 20 bucks for dinner if I'm walking into that place I'm expecting Mm -hmm. to pay a grand Mm-hmm. right and so when the waiter comes and gives me the menu i mean whatever tasting menus you don't have menus you know but whatever give me the menu and you have like three wine pairing options the 245 wine pairing versus the 700 wine pairing versus the whatever wine pairing mm-hmm. they're all high level whatever i'm expecting that already and i get to pick but i don't get mm-hmm. mad at the waiter and he's not over over stressing me or convincing me about which of them do i want Mm-hmm. right i knew i just walked into a three-star Muslim restaurant and there now is a time in my life that i can do that right and i'm glad that people have them <laughs> so i can go have those experiences that's mm-hmm. awesome 10 years ago i didn't even know what that was you know like 30 bucks for dinner was i don't know that was the special christmas dinner you know yeah. like or birthday <laughs> dinner like holy shit <laughs> that's a lot of money right i wouldn't even consider that and so in terms of my own practice, I am now so much more expensive to work with than I was back then. Mm-hmm. Right? But I don't have any uh, influence or like like tactics or ways of convincing people that they want the thing. It's not about mm-hmm. like how do I get around their defenses around whatever their situation is for them to just then hire me. You know, mm-hmm. it's more like giving people a very honest, totally complete, full-hearted experience of what the work is, really getting them results before we ever, ever consider working together. And eight out of 10 times they ask me, okay, how do we keep this going? 
And it's like, well, here's the menu, you know, it's cool. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't want to, it's fine. And then if you do want to work with me, that's awesome. And I don't need 40 clients. I need five yeah. you know, or 10 max a year. Uh-huh. So I have the freedom to Same. not yeah. pull on them. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering because like um so a theme of my book that I'm writing about my experience here is enlightenment leaves no scars. Someone like said that to me, but at the same time when I was in it and I think about like the bad things that happened involving me or other people, it's like well for most people for myself like those were the biggest moments of growth. Like if there's anything that forced me to learn about myself or learn what abilities I had, it was like kind of the shit that happened to me. And like even with money, I mean like going into debt, whether it's predatory or not, the sales, like I put myself in a very compromised situation, but it kind of forced me to learn things, which maybe is a backwards justification. It could be, but like, I'm wondering what you think about that. Because nowadays, if I, especially if I'm talking to a young person who wants to take out credit cards to work with me, a part of me is like, no, don't do that. But then I'm like, well, that's exactly what I did. And I grew from it. And I don't really know where I stand on such things. I mean, there are people who will show up with like that with me and you can tell there's a feeling that you get after a while where you could feel like someone's leaning into a stretch whereas versus somebody's really doing something damaging to the financial like they should get a job first and then mm-hmm. I, you know mm-hmm. so I'll turn people away in a way that I just it, it just if it doesn't feel good in my body I'm not gonna take the money there's mm-hmm. no ethical thing that's like no I'll let them make their own mistakes it's like I could tell that's going to have them freeze around financial stress that's going to make them not able to create the results they want because they're too busy not being able to sleep at night because of the financial stress. Um, In terms of enlightenment leaves no scars, I think with enough time, you know, I think if you're growing, you know, whatever life and then difficult thing happened, and then life continues. It could go in many different ways. If you're moving towards enlightenment and you ever get managed to get there, right? So you continue to transform. There's going to be some point in the future that you could pull that lens far back enough and you've be able, been able to heal enough from that that you could, you know, see what it was, incorporated it into the whole, and then you're so much bigger than that anyway. There are no scars, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And a whole journey towards enlightenment yeah. that you healed, right? There... People move towards that at different rates. So it could be that somebody who gets hurt dramatically in some scenario is going to spend the next 40 years healing from that you know, versus somebody else to handle it in three and then yeah. go have a great life. I don't know how to age how yeah. much trauma <laughs> someone can handle versus right. somebody else. I was, you know, I was thinking about this call that we were going to have right now and I knew we were probably going to talk about that experience and being in that kind of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and would I do it again? Right. If I had to do again, would I do it again? And it was, you know, a lot of intensely difficult, negative things happened there. Um, and I would, <laughs> I totally would do it again Yeah. because within, you know, within, I could see my light, like I see where my life is right now. And I was able to, sort of take the learning, synthesize, feel the feelings, you know, go to therapy, whatever, and then bounce back and then have been able to use the good, even though there was bad. Um, I don't know the case for other people. I just yeah. know I was resilient enough that it was worth having that kind of a heavy intensity for the learnings. Yeah. yeah. 
now I'm in a place in my life where it's like, do I want, would I, would I dive into a community like that now? Like, I just, I'm too tired, man. Yeah. We also have so much more to lose. I assume. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Wasn't that for myself? Like there were years where I really regretted it afterwards. Cause like I had no money. I was unemployable. I didn't, I couldn't relate to people. I was like, man, did I mess up my life permanently by spending two years in this thing? Then afterwards, like, now I'm like, that was the best thing I ever did. That's like the best investment of time and money and energy ever. Because like every, like so many things that I enjoy now are from that, that I think are permanent, you know, as far as life is permanent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do it again. I, like now I actually have things to lose. <laughs> like I would hate to. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh, cool. Yeah. Um, right, so this might be my last uh, topic for you. Because we, we mentioned money a couple of times and you're someone with a spiritual background that that's yeah, I don't know how else to put it. Um, and there's so many people speaking about uh, relationship to money, things like that. You know, and, and again, we're talking about magical seeming things. And it seems like you of all people probably have something practical to say or like, or concrete. I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are on like relationship really to the money, money entity. Yeah, money's like potatoes. It's totally like nothing. It's value. Mm -hmm. Not that it's insignificant. It kind of, it's like money. This is money. This is money. When I talk about money or think about money, I just, this is about it. You know, I don't think about, I can't have it. Someone like me can't have it. Or there's, I'm not doing the law of attraction well enough. You know, like I never sit around and be like, okay, I got to organize my inner state in such a way that I can attract wealth, mm -hmm. you know, or um, the best thing I learned about money is that it, it's like potatoes. <laughs> like so that when I talk about it with my potential clients or when I pick the price that my, my things are going to be at my offerings, my packages are at, I could say that, you know, this package is $3,000 and I can say it's $30,000 and I can say it's $150,000 with the exact same inflection, intonation, energy, presence. It's all just potatoes. Hmm right yeah and and you know i just got really good at what i did and then i just tested it out you know would people actually pay the whole thing up front uh -huh. oh my god most people do i had no idea you know anything i thought i knew about how other people relate to money it turns out to be wrong hmm. so just take all of the nonsense out of the way it's potatoes <laughs> that's what i want to say about it yeah. How did that shift come about, though? Is there anything like, for someone who doesn't see it as potatoes yet? I think Steve Chandler. So he's the other author of Prosperous mm -hmm. Coach. He has a book called Wealth Warrior. He speaks a lot on business and sales. And he just has this attitude. And I was just like, okay, I'll try and adopt this. All the other stuff is let's see what happens. I experimented with it. And it worked. <laughs> it was amazing. And it just seems so not magical. You know, it's like I took the magic out of money. Hmm. Uh, there are way fewer hoops to jump through though. <laughs> you know? And, and way fewer ways to make yourself wrong because, because hmm. it's like, if you think of it as other, if you think it's some kind of like inner way resource of the flow of the wealth abundance and it's not happening for you, you make yourself wrong. Yeah. There's something wrong with you. Right. Instead hmm. of figure out your marketing better, you know, yeah. <laughs> like or ask more people to have a conversation with you, you know, or get better at your crafts and then you'll make more money. Like it's, practical like that yeah uh, it's interesting because um when i was going into one taste and like making all these financially irresponsible decisions i was kept i kept telling myself money isn't real money isn't real and then like when i had no money and i couldn't like i 
get an apartment anymore. I was like, oh shit, money's kind of real. But now that I have it again, I'm like, oh, it's like not really real. Like every, you just move things around. And like, once you, your needs are met, it's kind of just an idea. I don't, I don't know that that's what I mean, but it's not real. It's like, mm-hmm. if I need three potatoes to buy lunch, I need three mm-hmm. potatoes to get, like, I, if I'm going to barter it, then I'm going to do this. I mean more like, like you can therefore make smart decisions on what you want to do with your potatoes. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but it's not like I'm not worthy of potatoes. Gotcha. Okay. In terms you know, of, or like yeah. those people over there, you know, they were born with the magical thing that has them have it easy getting potatoes. Like, no, they were given a trust fund and they put all their money in the, like, it's all in stocks and the market's good and they have money, you know, yeah. it's not because they're better more worthy people gotcha um, yeah yeah it, one last thought um because i as i have raised my rates a lot since when i started obviously I, I i'm sure like obviously my confidence has increased and anyone who's rate charging more of their confidence has increased but i don't think at the degree that i've raised my rates like it's like the thing that i've noticed more is like what has really changed is the type of people that come by like one their type of people who can afford certain things and they happen to be more fun and more responsible. Maybe that's why they have the money that they can afford. Like it's almost like uh, just like throw your line in a different pond totally. and do the same thing and yeah. you can get bigger fish. Like it's yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it, it ends up being relationship building and, and what pond are you fishing in? And you could say the exact same thing over here and the exact same thing over here. And this person would never in a million years be able to afford whatever X is. And then this person <laughs> over here doesn't think twice. And it's just, and then I think the the last hurdle for people to shift that way is they feel like they're bad people for leaving these people behind. Mm-hmm. Like I should be able to help everybody, you know, and, and why raise my rates to whatever? Why don't I just continue charging $500 a month mm-hmm. for the rest of my life? And then it's like, there are so many other people charging $500 mm-hmm. a month. Those people are going to find someone, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, and then I noticed the same thing that you noticed that as I raised my rates, the people that came to me were in a place where they were taking it more seriously, like just making any kind of investment therefore was more worthwhile because they showed up for it in a way that they overshot their goals. Whereas when they were being given a deal, you know, and it wasn't that much and it was still kind of whatever, there was a certain kind of, um, victim me, I can't do it. This is hard kind of underlying vibe. Um, not overgeneralization, not everybody, but typically the results that I was seeing weren't the same as the results that I'm seeing charging way higher fees. And it's not because my coaching got 20 times better, you know? Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And I, you know, I, maybe I'm sure the numbers for everyone are different, but like a certain dollar amount, I was like, Oh, these, the people who are up to this point have done enough of their own work that they can actually execute this idea. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like, it's almost like when someone can't afford it, like a part of me is like, well, maybe there's some stuff you need to do on your own that doesn't cost you anything before you get the benefit of this stage. Um, but it's interesting what you just said also is like, I actually feel at the rate that I'm at now, I thought about raising it again. It was like, I would kind of miss the people that I coach now because I know they can't afford double. And um, it's, it's, I guess, I mean, what's that? Start a group for them. Yeah. Yeah. Cook them all together. 
And then yeah. that way there's that option for people who. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, really I mean, that's, that's, that is literally one of the options on my whiteboard right here. And I was like, pondering. <laughs> so, like, good. That's one, like, check in that. Yeah, decision. leave no one behind. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and also, also, there are different uh, times in my, in my practice where I have more space versus other times um, where I'll take somebody on pro bono or, or a few people or a certain group. Like, I'll do mm-hmm. work with, there's certain people who kind of like come along every now and then and can't afford X, but they are exceptional and you know that your energy invested into them is going to be well used by them mm-hmm. that it's a pleasure to just offer it for free. I remember um, one of the first coaches I ever had um, like who helped me for a little while in my transition out of one taste and starting my own thing who like lent me $150 once cause I couldn't pay my rent. Um, he said, I coach people for either $3,000 a month or nothing. Mm-hmm. And he took me under his wing and charged me nothing. Hmm. You know, I was one of those people who he saw just my consistent execution, you know, an effort mm-hmm. and not you no know, apology and no victim kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it was really sweet five years later, three, four years later, whenever it was, when I was like, um, do you remember me? <laughs> this is what's going on right now. <laughs> and he was like, I'll give you your 150 <laughs> like 300k this year um here that's awesome he was really really happy yeah so that's a good way to do it too cool um well thank you so much for making the time I'm, i know we've covered a lot of different things this is really fun speaking with this you fun. i'm gonna have a lot of fun sharing this with my friends who don't know this side of me cool <laughs> it's fun to dip back into yeah um is there anything you want to share about like uh, we have going on is like is there a way people can find out about the edgewalkers thing uh, edge walker edge hyphen walker um <laughs> base camp on facebook there's a facebook group edge there. walker base camp cool yeah just my website christina berkeley.com you could find the manifesto on there you contact me if you want to know more cool it's all there awesome cool. well thanks so much my pleasure take care Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media, at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.